I'm going to invite you to think about some recent conversations that you've had, um, maybe today, like what you've talked about already this morning, maybe on the way to church, maybe before you left home, before coming to church, uh, maybe over the course of the last week, uh, maybe going back to last Sunday, Easter, and perhaps conversations at church or conversations that you had in your family or um, maybe you attended some sort of an Easter gathering other than church. Maybe it was with family. Maybe it was with friends. Maybe it was in the neighborhood. But as you think about a recent conversation, would you say that it was more kind of mundane, run-of-the-mill, sort of same thing like usual, like always, we talked about this and we talked about that, but you know, really nothing new, nothing exciting, nothing surprising. Okay, so maybe that's what you'd say, yeah, as I'm thinking back over the last week or even the last Sunday, uh, no surprising conversations. Or maybe you might say, you know what, uh, earlier today, this past week, going back to last Sunday, Easter, I had, some, I had a surprising conversation. Could have been about this, could have been about that. You know what it was maybe for yourself. Uh, you might say that it was surprising in the sense that it just, it surprised you. you. You just weren't expecting it. Or it surprised you in the sense that it brought you great joy. Um, maybe you're a parent and you have a child, a married child, and you know they're kind of in that age when they can have grandchildren. And perhaps the surprising announcement that you heard over this past week, this past 10 days, that you were going to be a grandma or grandpa for the very first time, or maybe for the 10th time, never lost its joy, but it surprised you. And you chalk it up to exciting. Uh, maybe the, the news that you received was a family member or you know, somebody close to you, somebody you know pretty well, and, and they died. And so maybe instead of this joy that you had that just made you jump up and down, that news that, you know, you're going to be a grandparent for the first time or for the 10th time, maybe the news just kind of rocked your world and you're like, oh, man, I just can't believe that. You know, he or she seems so young, he or she seems so healthy, just never saw it coming, boom, there it was. Conversations that we have... Uh, sometimes surprising, sometimes mundane, routine, just kind of part of life. I suggest to you that a couple conversations that we heard about in our gospel for today, so John 20, 19 to 29, the basis for what I'm saying here this morning, were some of the most surprising conversations ever in the history of the world talking about that conversation that Jesus had with his disciples on Easter evening, and then talking about a similar sort of conversation that he had with his disciples a week later, but this time, Thomas was there. Okay, now, let's think a little bit. Why am I saying these are surprising conversations? Why am I calling your attention to them here this morning? Well, so it was Easter, right? That was the first conversation but that wasn't the only conversation Jesus had or the first conversation Jesus had on that day. 
Uh, the Bible tells us that already on that first Easter, that day of Jesus' resurrection, he'd talked with some women who saw the risen Jesus, talked with Peter who saw the risen Jesus. Uh, he had a conversation, pretty lengthy conversation. The Bible gives us quite a few details about a conversation Jesus had with all we know is they were two followers of Jesus, two disciples, and they were on their way to this place called Emmaus, and they talked with Jesus. And then comes the end of the day, and here's a conversation that Jesus has with some of his early followers, the disciples. They're gathered together in a room in Jerusalem. Now, it's important for us to think about why were they in that room? Why were they all gathered together? And you heard it in the reading. You can go back to the reading that's printed in your worship folders and see it for yourselves. But they were afraid. They were scared. Uh, not because of heights and not because of storms, but they were afraid because of some of the leaders of a big religion in Jerusalem at that time, still today, it's called Judaism. And that might kind of make us scratch our heads a little bit. You know, why would they be afraid of religious leaders? Um, I hope you're not afraid of religious leaders because that means you'd be afraid. Okay, you guys got it, right? So, um, but they were because of what had happened to their very good friend, Jesus. Uh, it was just a few days before that when they had witnessed Jesus be arrested. Why arrest Jesus? I mean, arrest the two guys that were crucified next to him. We get that. Criminals, robbers, rebels, right? But Jesus, as they had known Jesus, he hadn't done anything wrong, he hadn't made any mistakes. He was literally the son of God. He was literally perfect. But yet he got arrested. <laughs> Not only just to get arrested, but he went on trial before leaders in Judaism. He went on trial before governmental leaders, the big ones, Herod from Galilee, Pontius Pilate, having jurisdiction over Jerusalem. And Pilate was the one who gave the order for the unthinkable, that Jesus was to be executed. So talk about surprises, talk about shocking events. If you're those disciples of Jesus, man, you just, and then it happened, died. And they put him in a tomb and, you know, it just, it just happened. But Easter Sunday evening, it started to get reports. You know, some women said he was alive. Peter said he was alive. The disciples who'd been on that road to Emmaus, they said he was alive. We don't know what to think, right? We're are the Jewish leaders going to come and do to us what they did to Jesus? What's, you know, people are saying crazy things, right? He's come back from the dead. What are we to think? So we're all, those disciples are all gathered together in that room there in Jerusalem. They're afraid. Now, we can identify with that, and we heard a couple examples of it here this morning earlier. Uh, and those of you who volunteered reasons why we can be afraid, thank you for that. Um, sometimes it might be storms, thunder, and lightning specifically. Sometimes it might be heights. Sometimes it might be a problem, a big problem. And um, maybe the problem has happened, and we're trying to 
deal with the fallout from that problem and, and figure out a way forward. Or maybe the problem hasn't happened yet, but it's a problem that we're kind of worried about, we're concerned about, we're wondering, well, if this happens, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? So maybe it's a problem. Maybe it's a health issue, big health issue. Perhaps it's for us. Perhaps it's for a family member, somebody like really super close to us. Maybe it's a friend. But we've kind of got some uncertainty. We've got some fears kind of there. Uh, maybe it's we're afraid because of something that's going on in a relationship that's just, it's a problem. Maybe it's with a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's with a child. Maybe it's with a parent. Maybe it's with a spouse. Who knows? But we're afraid. Maybe it's because we believe in God. How would believing in God make us afraid? I, I thought God loves us, and he does. The Bible says God's holy. Sometimes the holiness of God, the perfection of God, the the righteousness of God, it can scare us because we know that we're not holy, we're not righteous, we're not perfect. And we know that what God says we deserve for our sinfulness. And it's not good, it's literal hell. Maybe that's got us afraid, scared. Uh, We wouldn't be alone in our fears for these variety of reasons that I've mentioned here this morning. You go back to the Bible and we could be here all day listening to biblical characters that had fears. I'm just going to give you a few. So you think of Moses, right? God says, hey, Moses, I want you to go lead my Old Testament people out of slavery in Egypt. And, you know, I would like to think that if God would have appeared to me on a mountaintop and this bush is burning, but it's not being consumed, and he says, take off your shoes, Kevin, Uh, I'm God. You know, I'd like to think that whatever God said, I'd just do, right? But, But Moses, he gives God a little pushback. Do you really want me to be the leader of Old Testament Israel? Well, God, what about this? What about that? Uh, There's Rahab. If you're familiar with your Old Testament history, uh, you know that Rahab had a street address in ancient Jericho. And that uh, she was asked to kind of care for, hide, protect some Israeli spies. But she wasn't Israeli. She was on the other side. And she was a little nervous at first, like, okay, so if I do this, this God of yours is going to protect me, right? But she was a little afraid. She was a little nervous. Uh, David, maybe we can really identify with David because David knew about God's holiness and he knew about his unholiness. Particularly after that affair that he'd had with Bathsheba. And he wrote about how it made him feel uh, in the 32nd Psalm, how his bones wasted away as if it was in the heat of summer, how his strength was sapped. And the guilt, the shame, that was pretty much literally killing. Going to the New Testament, uh, Jesus' disciples, there's all kinds of accounts through the Gospels. You can read them, you probably heard them, you might know them. Uh, When they were afraid, um, 
Yeah, so the biblical characters know about fear. And that's maybe why it's surprising. Easter evening, Jesus comes and meets them. They're all gathered together, fearful, in that room in Jerusalem. And what's Jesus' first words to them? Kids, I'm going to ask you to repeat them now. Here we go. I'll say it with you. It's four of them. Ready? Peace be with you. So there's Jesus in the room. He's alive. And if that's not shocking enough, he's not really yelling at us because we're kind of afraid. There's no sermon, there's no lecture, there's no judgment, there's no condemnation. The first words out of his mouth, peace be with you. There's somebody who, uh, I don't know, you call him a Bible commentator or scholar or one of those folks, has uh, done a lot of research on this word peace as it's used in the New Testament by Jesus in the resurrection appearance accounts uh, by Paul in all of his letters. And um, this person's studied a lot, read a lot about this word peace, what it means. And, And this is what they say, that the peace that Jesus talks about A calm state of a soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot. Here we go, one more time. A calm state of a soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot. Man, um, it's a great place to be. Where does Jesus, how can he announce this to those disciples of his in Jerusalem? How could he really announce the same thing to you and to me in John chapter 20? How could he announce the same thing to us this morning in the part of our worship that we call the announcement of God's forgiveness? Well, again, think of who this is. This is Jesus, the Son of God, who came on Christmas, who lived 33 years perfectly without sin. That's why, you know, his disciples were like, why is this guy getting executed? We get it that we would, but, you know, him? Well, don't get that. So he's crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. He's brought back to life on Easter so that you can hear me say now what you heard last Sunday that Jesus' resurrection gives us hope and the legitimate victory over death and the grave when we die. And that we always have hope because of Jesus. There's never anything in this world, in this life, uh, that is so great, that is so bad, that is so terrible, that Jesus' hope that we have in him can't overcome it. So we are never without hope. That's a great thing. Uh, So we have this peace this calm of our soul between us and God. The Bible uses different words to describe it. It calls it justification. It calls it redemption. It calls it reconciliation. It calls it forgiveness. And it calls it peace. We have this in our souls through God's gift of faith, trust in Jesus, the Savior. Uh, This is the gospel, okay? 
the good news of Jesus that he gives us his peace. Peace of soul between us and God. Everything's perfect, right? So that's one part of what the gospel does. Uh, you're getting a little theology lesson here this morning, whether you wanted it or not. It's same free of charge. So, uh, so the gospel comforts, but the gospel also empowers. Um, maybe some of our young folks that were sitting up here this morning are wondering, empowers. What is, what is that? What does empowers mean? So, uh, you know, all those electronic devices that we have, whether they're toys or phones or tablets or laptops or whatever they are, and they run on a battery, uh, you know, uh, just like I do, if we don't plug those things in and recharge them, the battery runs out, right? So when we plug in our phone, our game, our laptop, our pad, whatever it is, and it gets recharged, we could say it's empowered, it's charged up, it's, it's moved to action. And that's what the gospel does for us. So it comforts us with that good news, the peace of God is yours in Christ. But it also spurs us on, it empowers us, it moves to do stuff. Well, well what? Well, again, you go back to our lesson, and it says a couple things. One of them, uh, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You go back to our reading from Acts for this morning. And that early church, the early Christians, the early church encountered some obstacles. A couple of those folks went into the clink. They went to jail, right? Miraculously, God got them out. And the work of the church continued on. The peace of Jesus gives us that same power today. That the work of the church continues on. Uh, also, uh, when Jesus had one of these surprising conversations a week later, and this time Thomas was there, uh, he told Thomas this. He said, stop doubting and believe. Now, you know, you could either understand that as like the greatest assignment ever, the hardest thing to ever do. Like, Thomas, what, you're just supposed to like white knuckle it and try really hard to believe it? Or... Recognize what else the Bible says about the command that Jesus gave to Thomas there to stop doubting and believe, that God actually empowers us through the gospel and by his spirit to do that. He's the one who gives us faith, maintains that faith, sustains that faith. And so recognize that here this morning. You know, for you, when you think about, well, what are those things that might make you a little afraid or, or cause you some fear or make you scared? And, you know, some people would say, well, you just kind of have to toughen up and deal with it and white knuckle it right and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make it through. But you and I as Christians got way more than that. Peace be with you. We have the gospel. We have his spirit. God has always been with his church. He's always sustained his church. He's always guided his church. He's always blessed his church. And nothing's going to stop him from doing that today. So, conversations. 
as maybe you think about some conversations that you've had over the past week or going back to last week, Easter Sunday, and you put some of those conversations into the category of mundane or routine or boring, um, and maybe you put a couple of them in there as, in terms of surprising. Uh, my hope and my prayer for you is that you kind of park in your memory bank and you park in your heart today as you leave this church these couple of conversations that Jesus had a long time ago. Easter evening with the disciples, a week later, this time Thomas is there. And remember those words that he says. Four words. Last time, kids, I'm going to ask you. What are the four words? Peace. Peace. Excellent, excellent. Peace be with you. There's not only that beautiful gospel comfort in there for us, but there's that empowerment to go on. Amen.